glad you're here tonight. We're going to have a, I start to say we're going to have a great time. I don't know what kind of time we're going to have. I'm not going to preach tonight. Um, sorry. I'm just going to talk to you tonight. But don't worry, I promise I'll preach next week. I'll have a real title and I'll tell you know, a text and some points, a lot of points. We'll get back to it next week. I just want to talk to you tonight. Uh, Billy, if you need a title, whoever's doing the titles, From the Heart. Let's just call it From the Heart tonight. I just want to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you about something that God's been talking to me about for about two years now. I just believe God speaks today. Jennifer Louise, that's my new nickname for John Jim. You teach God speaks, don't you? I believe he talks today. And uh, let me tell you, he's been speaking to me slowly for about two years about something. Uh, let me, let me uh, tell you about talking with God. When I first started out, I think people start out when they pray, they talk to God. And they tell him their request, tell him their needs. He told you to do that. But you get walking with him long as I have, you do less talking and more listening. May I ask you about something? You've got a guy here who knows everything. He's wonderful. He's brilliant. He's willing to share. You've got a guy here who can't get either one of his chainsaws cranked. <laughs> who should do most of the talking? I've learned to sit down and listen. I'll ask him about something and I'll wait. And he usually answers, always answers me. It's always when he wants to, not when I ask. But let me tell you something I've learned about Jesus when he talks. He talks over time. I don't mean that he talks real slow. I mean, he slowly shows you things over time. And I just, the joy of my life is not preaching. It's to listen to God talk. I just tell him, sometimes I'll just say, say anything. I don't care. Fuss at me. Just say boo. I just want to know you're there. I love to hear God talk. And uh, he's been talking to me for about, for, for a long time, but really about two years about something. I just want to talk to you about it tonight. Um, hope you don't get offended. I'm 63. I ain't got nothing to prove. I don't care. I just want you to know I love you. Who is Jesus? Matthew 16, he sat down with his disciples and he said, what are people saying about me? They said, well, some say you're prophets. He said, let me ask you a question. Who do you think I am? Most important question you'll ever answer in your life is who is Jesus? Let me tell you what I'm, I'm convinced he is. And I didn't learn this from the school I went to and I didn't learn it from a preacher. I learned this from God himself. He told Simon, he said, what you just said, nobody taught you that. God told you that. I believe Jesus is God come down to earth. I believe Jesus is not a great prophet, teacher, one of the leaders. I believe he is God himself stepped down to earth. I believe it's about, I'm convinced I die over this. You can have whatever color chairs you want. I don't sing the music you want. I don't care, but I'll die on this hill. I believe John 1:14. the word became flesh. God became a man and walked among us. I believe Jesus is God come down to earth. I believe it all starts right there. If you can't agree with that, if you don't believe that, you're not a liberal, you're lost. Sorry. <laughs> but here, this leads me to ask the next big question. Why? Why did he come down here? So, Brother Brown, that's easy. He came down here so we could go to heaven. Is that it? Is that the only reason he came? I've scoured the New Testament. I mean, the Gospels. I've read the Gospels over and over. I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke. I scour the Gospels over and over. I can quote them almost. That I keep reading and asking, who are you? Why are you here? Why'd you come? What do you want? And I've pretty well settled that Jesus came down to this earth to do three things. Number one, he came to show us what the Father's like. I believe Jesus came to reveal the Father. I believe there's a lot of misunderstanding about who God was in that day. 
Church is behind most of it. I believe people are screwed up about who he is today. I believe Jesus came to say, no, here's what he's like right here. Now, let me quote it again, John 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no man's ever seen God, but the Son of God, who is from the bosom of God, he came and showed us what he is like. I believe Jesus came to earth to show us what God is like. But that's not all he came to do. I believe Jesus came to earth to, uh, to start something. I believe he came to start something, to build something, to establish something. Uh, some people would say church. I would say, wait a minute. He never called her to church till a few days before he left the earth. Go back and read the gospels. When he began to teach, he called it something else. He, he began to teach. The number one thing Jesus taught about all through the four gospels, what was it? The kingdom of God. He said, I've come to talk about a kingdom and he talked about the kingdom of God. The thing he talked about more than anything else as he walked, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like if you would enter into the kingdom of God. And he called it the kingdom of God. And he came to start that thing and he came to build it. That's what he came to do. The kingdom of God. Let me, uh, let me describe the kingdom of God. You wouldn't call it church. The kingdom of God is a, uh, it's, it's a culture within a culture. It's a way of living. It's a community of people who are committed to something. It's a, it's a family, but it's a group of people that come together for one reason. And he came to start this community called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, uh, let me say this about the one he came to talk about. It's counterculture to the culture you're living in and I'm living in. Uh, in other words, the two can never exist. They're so different, they can't exist. The, the kingdom, the culture, the family that Jesus came to start and build, and I think he builds it till the day comes. By the way, let me tell you something about this culture and this kingdom. It's eternal. When all the other kingdoms are gone, like the Medes and Persians are today and the USA and the Russia and the right and the left, when all those kingdoms are gone, the kingdom of God will still be standing 10,000 years from now. But this kingdom, let me tell you about this kingdom. It is so, it's different. It has different priorities than all other kingdoms. It has different principles. It has different ways of doing things. It has different uh, practices. And he rules over this kingdom today. You say, you ain't even here. He, he, he's real smart. He can figure this out. He rules this kingdom today by his spirit. You know, what you see with him and the disciples, he was sort of in charge, wasn't he, with the disciples? Agreed? Y'all have read the New Testament. Wasn't he sort of in charge of what they were doing? Well, he left and this other guy came back and he's doing what Jesus did then. The, the kingdom God wanted to build is under the control of the Holy Spirit. Sorry, not Nashville, not Springfield, not Rome or the Vatican. Those are the kingdoms of religious cultures, by the way. I should have clarified that. And the two cannot coexist. The kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this earth cannot coexist. Now, let, let me tell you something about Jesus coming to the earth. And I, I want you to do let me teach you something here. His coming was prophesied. For thousands of years before he came, a book called the Old Testament Prophets, they pointed to him. For hundreds of years, they said, he's coming. But they didn't use the name Jesus. Only one time in the Old Testament did they use the name Jesus. Every other time they called him what? Messiah. They said, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah. And they kept telling him, he's coming. He's coming. They prophesied it. All right, we don't understand this because of our American mindset. The day Jesus came to earth in that culture, everybody was looking for Messiah. 
They had grown, they'd heard it growing up. It was embedded in their thinking. Every Sunday, excuse me, Saturday, every Saturday when they left their church, the synagogue, the last words were, maybe Messiah will come today. And they grew up knowing Messiah would come. Not only the religious people, the Jews, the pagans were looking for Messiah. Do you remember John 4, the woman at the well? She wasn't even a God follower. She wasn't even a Jew. And remember what she said to him? We know that Messiah's coming. Everybody was looking for this guy named Messiah. And he would come to earth and bring the kingdom of God in the earth. They all knew that. Certainly all the boys did. Well, he came one day. He showed up. And they all missed him. All of them missed him. They all missed him. They all... They didn't just miss him. They didn't even understand why he came. Certainly the religious leaders, God's people, did they, did they think Jesus was the Messiah? No, they missed him. For instance, John chapter nine, the Pharisees said, this man is not of God. I mean, you don't nail God to a cross. They crucified him. You know why? They said, this, this is not God. And they had, every day they preached, Messiah's coming. He shows up and they kill him. Strange, isn't it? Well, I understand that. Religious people like that. But let me tell you something else. His disciples missed him. He had 12 men gathered around him, seven, not 12 apostles, 70 disciples, and they missed him. They spent three years with him and they did not know why he came. This is crazy. You still don't believe that, all right? <clears throat> Jesus ministered for three years. They walked side by side for three years. He gets killed, crucified. They're shocked. They didn't see that coming. He told them. He rises from the dead. They gather together for a few days. And then he gathers them together and he says, I'm going back to my father. It's Acts chapter one. I'm going back to the father. Don't you go anywhere. You stay right here in Jerusalem until till something comes. And, uh, and then in verse six, they said this. Is this the time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? They didn't have a clue why the man came. They didn't know why Messiah showed up. Um, let me... Uh, I tell you, turn with me to Isaiah chapter nine. Let's see if you'd have seen it. Let's look at the great prophecy. This is where it talked about Messiah coming. Now, hang on. I got to do a little background here to get to the part I want to talk to you about. All right, for years and years, they read these old covenant scriptures. This was written 800 years before he came. Prophecy. And they were told this guy's coming. The Messiah's coming. God is coming down to the earth. His name is Messiah. And uh, they could quote this scripture. You've heard this scripture at Christmas. All right, all right you're, you're in that day. You're a follower of God. You love God. You wouldn't be called a Christian. You'd be called a Jew in that day. And you're a follower of God and you, you read this. What do you, I want you to read the prophecy and I want you to tell me what you're going to be looking for. Let's read it. Isaiah 9, 6. You've heard this. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulder. What'd you hear right there? When you think government, what do you think? Government, you know, senators, congressmen, you know what government is? Well, the government had all, you got to understand in that day, the government was the church. The church was the government. They were the same. They, the government will be on his shoulders. So that tells me he's going to run the government. His name will be called. And you've heard this at Christmas. I love this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. He's going to be the governor. And nobody will ever kick him off the throne like they did David. We got a governor coming, commander, upon the throne of who? David. And over David's kingdom to order it, establishment. What? Judgment. Justice. We're going to get judgment in this land. 
From that time forward, for even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There's the prophecy. They all knew it. Everybody believed in it. Now, what do you think's coming? You know what I see? I see David showing up again. I see a Davidic, they called it a Davidic ruler. He'd go, you understand these people, they'd been crushed. Israel was the most powerful nation in the world at one time under King David. And then they were crushed. And at the time Jesus came to earth, they were the servants of the Roman state. Rome had come over and crushed the middle, what we call the Middle East. And Rome ruled everybody. Roman soldiers came over there and ruled their city, ruled their country. And what, now what does this say to them? A man, God's going to send us a man like David, a Messiah, and he's going to rise up and he's going to crush the Romans. And our nation's going to be great again and the government will be on his shoulder and this kingdom will not be crushed again. That's what they were looking for. That's what they were expecting. They were looking for this David guy to show up and sit on the throne of David. And he would rule and he would reign. They were looking for an earthly kingdom, a physical earthly kingdom, just like David's. Praise God. You Romans are fixing to get your butts whooped. And we will rule again. And we will be ruled by David and he will do justice instead of treating us bad out here. Everybody's looking for justice today. They were too. All right, they took this prophecy right here and others like this, and this built their expectation of Messiah. There's just one problem. They didn't read all the prophecies. So when Jesus shows up, they said, that can't be him. Where's your stallion, dude? Where's your army? Why are you being nice to them? What do you mean carry their pack? I thought you were going to stab them. <laughs> he, he did not talk like David. He talked about a different kind of kingdom. Look at the other one, Isaiah 53. Turn the page with me, a few pages there. All right, are you, anybody here familiar with Isaiah 53? It is the greatest Old Testament prophecy of Christ. It actually begins in Isaiah 52, goes all the way through 53. Now, you saw Isaiah um, 9, you saw the prophecy of Jesus coming, but listen, here's the other side of the prophecy. Listen to this one, Isaiah 9, verse 1. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What's the arm of the Lord mean? Jesus. You know, God, God has reached out to men. Who has really known how God reached out to people? Watch this, verse two. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, a root out of dry ground, talking about Jesus. He has no... Sorry, I've never been able to read Isaiah 53. He has, get it together, beggars. He has no form or comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised, rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I, I thought gee, David was handsome and dynamic. Who's this guy? There's, it said there's nothing about him that would be attractive. There's nothing in his appearance that would draw you to him. What, what is this talking about him being despised and rejected? David wasn't rejected. He ruled. How do you blend these two prophecies? Isaiah 6 and 53. You got to. Because both of them are prophecies of Messiah. Let me show you a terrible translation. Verse 3. Despised and rejected. A man of sorrows. Terrible word. Sorrow. We think somebody's feeling sorry for themselves. It's the Hebrew word suffering. How can a conquering king suffer? He didn't, a conquering king makes other people suffer. What's this about a king coming to suffer? 
That don't make sense. How can you rule if you're suffering all the time? And then it talks about him carried our sorrows. That's the worst translation in the Bible for me. The, the Hebrew word is disease, sickness. He came to carry our sicknesses. Uh, smitten by God, verse five, he was wounded. Wait a minute. You don't wound the conquering king. He wounds other people. Can you see the collision between these two prophecies? They're, they're not talking about the same guy, are they? I mean, Isaiah 6, you got this conquering king who'll take over the government. It'll rule forever. He'll rule. And here you got this guy that shows up. He suffers. He gets beat to death. How can you reconcile these two prophecies? You see why they were so screwed up when he got here? And uh, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was on him and by his stripes we were healed. That, that's, that's the picture of Jesus. Verse seven, he was oppressed. You do not oppress conquering kings. They oppress you. Can you see how the people were all messed up? Because they, they heard Isaiah six, but they didn't read 53. This guy shows up. He's not, he's not David. He's not even like David. He didn't come to do what David did. So this is why they're all, can I say, boogered up. His own, what did his own apostles say after three years? They, they kept waiting on David. They kept saying, when are you going to step up and take over the throne? When are you going to kick the Romans out? When are we going to see this government? He never did it. All of a sudden he's dead. They go, what happened to all the prophecies? And then he comes back from the grave. They go, oh, that Jesus, that guy. They were as confused as a termite. We got a Bible. They didn't have nothing. They were confused as a termite and yo-yo by the time he died and resurrected. He resurrects. He says, the kingdom's coming. I'm going back to the Father. He's going to send somebody. You wait till he gets here. And they said to him, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? They were with him three years. They never had a clue what he was doing. They thought he came to establish an earthly visible kingdom. He did not. He came to build an invisible kingdom that would last forever. A culture a group of people. They misread the prophecies. He came to build another kind of kingdom. He didn't come to build a visible kingdom. <clears throat> Bottom line, Jesus did not come to be the ruler of a visible kingdom, either in the government or religious. Both of them rejected him. Now, could he have done it? Do you think Jesus could have taken over the government and whooped the Romans? Oh, yeah. Let me make an announcement. There ain't nothing he can't do. Do you think he could have been the head of the church of that day? Sure he could. It's not what he came to do. Here's what I want to say. He came as a servant willing to sacrifice and suffer because of his love for people. He didn't come to run anything or take over or be a good. He came to suffer. He came to be a servant to people because of his great love for people. Let me show you the difference in his kingdom. Turn with me to Mark the great passage, Mark 10, Mark chapter 10. Boy, they kept looking for this and that. And he, he, he just kept saying, y'all don't get it. You know why I keep saying they didn't get it, don't you? Because I'm fixing to shift gears in a minute. They just didn't get it. And did you ever notice in the gospels where it said they came and tried to make him king? They grabbed him and tried to put him on the throne. He wouldn't let him. He ran out. He didn't run. He just walked out in the wilderness and said, I'm not your king. I didn't come to do what you want me to do. God is not here to serve our purposes. I'm stunned at the different gods we've created. Let, let me make an announcement. 
The goal was for us to be made in His image, not for Him to become like us. I watched a preacher the other day and I said, well, you got your God. You've made your God. And it's funny, your, your God looks just like you. Then I got the, the social justice guys, preachers, they're preaching. I think your God looks just like you. Then I got the fundamentalists. Their God looks just like me. Well, the real God, please stand up. He did not, he don't conform to what we want him to do. We're supposed to become like him. He's got his own kingdom. He don't want to join ours. Right, left, up, down, Pentecostal, stomp down by the gas station. I don't care what it is. He came as a servant to suffer. All right, here's the great verse, Mark 10, 45. The son of man did not come to be served. I didn't come to rule for you to serve me. 1045, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And then was everybody talk, you think that means the cross? Sure it does. Listen to what he said in John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life, for, not to grab his life and demand it, lay it down for his friends. Jesus didn't just lay down his life at the cross. He laid down his life every day he walked on this earth. He never had a place to lay his head. He never looked out for himself. Jesus, quote, uh, Acts 10, 38, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He laid down his life. He just said, I didn't come down here to build some kind of kingdom and y'all jacked me up. I came to serve. God so loved the world that he sent his son and he came as a servant to serve. And then he said to the folks who were in his, quote, church or following me, he said, I don't, I don't want to be your leader. I, I mean, your king. I want you to become like me. Let's read it. Verse 42. Jesus called them to himself and said, the disciples had just gotten a fight. Imagine that, disciples fighting. Guess what they were fighting over? Which one of us is the greatest? This is that place where they're fighting over. You say, how awful. Oh, we do it too. How big's your church? How big's my church? It's nonsense. Verse 42, Jesus called them to himself. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them. The great ones exercise authority. What did Jesus say? In that kingdom, in that culture, everybody wants to be the boss. Everybody wants to get promoted. Everybody wants to go up. He said, that's how that kingdom operates, the kingdom of the world. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. That's not how it works in my kingdom, doc. Whoever desires to be great, you want to be great? Shall be your servant. If you want to be number one, become the slave of all. Does that not stand the kingdom of our world on its head? See, we want to get promoted. We want the corner office. We want, we want to be on the board so we can be bored. But, you know, we, we want everybody to listen to us. Jesus said that, that may be how it works over in that kingdom, but in this kingdom, the way up is down. You want to be great in my kingdom? You have to be like me and serve and be the slave of all. Slave of all. And so he just, he just dumps their kingdom upside down. He came to make disciples. You know what a disciple, this discipleship thing drives me nuts that we got today. A friend of mine, president of Southern Baptist Convention, we're talking one time. We spent some time together doing a crusade. He said, this discipleship thing's going to destroy our convention. He told me that 30 years ago. I think he's done it. Let me tell you what a disciple is. Uh, from the Bible. I don't have anybody's books. I didn't go to a school. Let me tell you what it is from the Bible. Luke 640. Every disciple, when he is perfectly trained, will be like his master. The goal is not for you to memorize. The goal is for you to become like Jesus and 
What? Serve people sacrificially because you love them. Amen. And you can't do it without God because you've got to have the love of God poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. I don't care how smart you are. You, God's got to help you. All right. Um, he came, let, let me shift gears, see if you agree with this. And if you don't, that's fine. You don't have to agree with what I'm saying. He came to build a kingdom. That's what he talked about. All of a sudden, right the last week or so before he was crucified, he started calling it something else. Matthew 16, he said, upon this rock, the ability to hear God, I will build my church. Are the church and the kingdom of God the same thing? Supposed to be. He called it a kingdom for three years. And then right before he was crucified, he said, I'll build my church. Ecclesia. I'll build my church. And, uh, the kingdom is supposed to be the church. The church is supposed to be the representation of the kingdom of God in the earth from that day till this one. And it's eternal again. Now they misunderstood what he was doing. Have I clarified that from scripture? Have we done the same thing? Have we done the same thing? Let me, uh, let me just present my case. Is today's American church the kingdom God spoke of that he would build? Now, I, I, I'm not arrogant. I'm, I've repented of my arrogance. I really have. I've asked God. Matter of fact, today, I asked him to forgive me. I used to look down my nose at this guy. I said, my religious pride stinks. I'm a recovering Pharisee. I'm in recovery. So I humbly submit this to you. I hope this is not what he came to do. If it is, I'm disappointed in him. I'm just talking about what we see in America today. Let me say it another way. There has got to be something more to this great kingdom than what we're seeing today. Yeah. Let me say it another way. All right, I hope that's, maybe that's a little better. <clears throat> May I suggest this? I think today's American church is built on American principles of success with a few kingdom principles sprinkled in. Let me appeal to you. I'm not knocking the church. Let me tell you something about the church. Jesus loves his church. Ephesians 5, no man ever hated his own bride, but he loves her and he cherishes her and nourishes her like Christ did the church, does the church. He loves the church. Even when he said, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked in Revelation 3, what's the next thing he said? But I love you. I want you to let me come back in. He, I don't care how screwed up you are. He loves you with a passionate love. He loves the church. But... Uh, I think the American church is built on an American model of success with a little bit of kingdom principle throw it in there. Love one another, be nice, Mr. Rogers. All right, let me appeal to you. How do we measure our churches today? Is it by this book or is it by American standards? What's the number one measurement of a church today? What is it? How big are you? How many you got coming down there? Well, that's a great church. They got thousands going down there. So you think numbers is the measurement of a great church in the New Testament? If that's the case, Jesus was a terrible failure. Did you know his church got up to 5,000 at one time? 5,000 men. They say you can't get men to come to church. 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And all of a sudden he said one day, he preached the worst sermon of his life. Here it is. It was very short. Here it is. He said, you've been following me because I fed you. But now I want you to follow me for who I am. And his church went from 5,000 men plus down to about 70. I bet you never use that sermon again. <laughs> and he turned around to them and he said, looked at Simon and he said, y'all leaving me too? All right, Jesus, for three years, 
at the end of his three years, do you know how big his church was? He had him up to 5,000 at one time. You're doing so good, Jesus. You shouldn't have kept preaching. What was the size of his church the day he went back to heaven? Does anybody know? 120. 120. By any metric of today's success, he failed. Now, 120 is not a bad church, but if you was at 5,000, they fire you for doing that now. How else do we measure our uh, churches, buildings? Some, you've seen that building. Man, that thing covers a whole city block. Beautiful. How else do we measure our churches today? You ought to hear the preacher. Impressive speakers. Man, our preacher, he can talk. He's funny too. I don't see that in there. Me, oh, you'd love the music at our church. It's hip. And here's the word. Let me whoop this word out. Relevant. We have relevant sermons. Our music's relevant and up to date. We got relevant chairs. Theater chairs. We're going to put recliners next. We want to be relevant. We'll do anything to get a warm body in this building. And our programs, how many programs did they have in the church in the book of Acts? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, where do we get this stuff from? I know where you didn't get it from. You can get it out of this book right here. All right, but let me go a little deeper and let me really tear the heart back or pull the heart out. The issue with God is not what you do. The issue with our God is why you do what you do. With him, it's never been what you do. Oh, I love to sing on the stage. I got a great voice. Why do you want to be up there? I want to teach. Why? I want to do this. I want to do that. Why do you? With him, it's not what you do. It's not your ability. Angels out sing all of us. Jesus is the greatest preacher ever lived. He's not impressed with anybody's preaching. You think this building's nice? You ought to see where he lives right now. He's not impressed with what we're impressed with. He's always, he always wants to know, why are you doing what you're doing? With him, the issue is the heart. As he, they said, he said this, they, first, that great verse in 1 Samuel, men look on the outward, God looks on the heart. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter eight, there was this guy, his name was Simon, not Simon Peter, another Simon. He saw the power of the Holy Ghost and he wanted the power of the Holy Ghost to heal people. Simon said, your money perish with you. He said, your heart, your motive is not right before God. You want to be in on this show we got going on, but you want to be in it for the wrong reason. Deals with God, the motive is always the big deal. So why do we do what we do today? Are, are we, uh, what's our motive today for what we do? Whether, we, whether we're building a church, home group, whatever we're doing, whether you, whatever you're doing, raising kids, is, is our motivation, is it, um, let me pause by saying this. There's only one motivation in the kingdom of God. There's only one reason you should ever do anything. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. First Corinthians 16, 14, let everything you do be done in love. Amen. Listen, if I can speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I'm not doing it because I love people and care about people, I am nothing. Sacrificial love should be the only motivation in God's kingdom. The only reason we do anything. It should be the only. It's sacrificial love for people and their well-being. Jesus said in John 21, 6 to the great apostle before he turned him loose, he said, do you love me? He said, yes, I love you. He said, tend my sheep. Everything we do, we should do it because we love God and love people. And there should be no other motivation in it. What's our motivation in churches today a lot of times? Growth. 
Got to get our churches. Our church is growing. Is that really our motive? Is our motivation really to see how many bodies we can get in the building? Or is it really to help people? I got to tell you, when I'm sitting in a restaurant sometime back, guys talking about this church he's going to. It was, it was one of the hip churches in that town. Hip, it was hip. You know what I mean, hip? So the preacher's hip. You know, he's got his shirt tail out and all that. And said, man, they have donuts in the parking lot. They got donuts on tables in the parking lot. I said, I'm, you, Scott said, I'm coming. I'm not, I don't know them people. What's your motivation? Well, to get, get, so we can reach people. Really? What do you mean reach people? Is it to get, is the goal really to see how many warm bodies we can get in a building for an hour a week? That's the kingdom of God. I'll just settle the whole thing. If you haven't, you don't need donuts in the lobby and coffee in the lobby. Put beer in the lobby. Put topless dancers on the stage. You'll have a crowd in no time. We'll just settle this thing, buddy. You want a church? I'll build you a church. You said, that's ugly. What's the difference? Sorry. We're just talking tonight. Man, we got to have the hip music so we can get the this demographic thing about reaching millennials, and I've repented of saying that. We've got to reach millennials. Says who? Show it to me. Just saying. <clears throat> do we re- are we doing what we do because we want to be successful, because we want to be recognized? I'll never forget, years ago, a man, man mentored me a little bit. He really helped me. I'm just starting out, young preacher. He said, son, I know God's called you to pastor. He said, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be tough. Let me tell you why it's going to be tough. He said, you're going to deal with egos all your life in there. And he said, in, let me tell you about churches, son. And he said, he was older than I was. He wasn't a preacher, but he was a smart man. He said, you're going to be dealing with people in your churches all week long. They get told, back that truck up. Go get this wrench. You're going to be dealing with people in your churches that get bossed around all week. And when they come to church, they want to boss somebody around. Church is the only place a lot of them can boss somebody around. He said, that'll be your greatest struggle. I'm 20 some years old. I heard that and I thought, he don't know what kind of, he don't know nothing. He don't know how great we are. People come to my church, they'll glow in the dark. You want to test them? Do you, do you want to test people? You want to test people's desires, what their motivation is, and for doing something in a church, you want to test them? Take it away from them and see what they do. You'll find out what the motive was. All right, enough of that. <clears throat> All right, let me, uh, let me throw something weird. This is going to be weird. The church that Jesus built, by the way, it's, it's in Acts chapter 2. We looked at it, verses 42 and following. We won't look at it now, but that's the church Jesus built. That's the nearest thing. That's the most beautiful church God ever built. It's there. If that church were in your town today, exactly like it's in here, two questions. Number one, would it make the top 100 list? Did you know there are actually people that have nothing to do with their lives? So they spend their time making these lists of the top churches in America all the time. Why don't you watch paint dry? Do something more exciting. Did you know that the church in the book of Acts would not make the top 100? Let me tell you something. If that church were down the street from your church, you would not be impressed with it. Let me tell you why. Can I tell you why? You you say, "Uh I would too. No, you wouldn't. Let me tell you why. They had no buildings. They had to borrow a place to meet. Pretty tacky. Their ministers... Do you think they had impressive ministers? Acts chapter four, they met their leaders. They said, these are ignorant, uneducated men. They had no degrees. They had no education. They were just dumb redneck fishermen thinking they could lead a church. I ain't going to hear that jack leg. Their music? Now, listen, 
The temple had great music that day. They had the instruments of David. Guess what kind of music their other church had? They had music, no instruments. They just sort of sang simple hymns. I don't know if you ever saw this reading the gospels or not. Do you know Jesus was a worship leader? You never saw Jesus lead music in, in the church? Uh, for instance, the Last Supper, the Bible said he, at the Last Supper, he broke the bread, gave him the wine, said, this is my body. And then he dealt with Judas and listen to what it said. And then he led them in singing hymns before they went out to the Mount of Olives. Well, Jesus didn't play a piccolo or a guitar, he didn't have an organ or nothing. They just sang simple songs and they were the songs of David. How about money? You think that this church had any money? You think they could afford expensive stuff? Remember one day Simon and his partner, John, that's the preacher, they're walking in the temple. A man said, I need some money for benevolence. And Simon said, what? Silver and gold have we done? They didn't have any money. Couldn't even, I don't know how they paid their bills. Well, they didn't have a church. They didn't have to pay their bills. They didn't have a building. Uh, let me go a little further. How about their members? You ever saw the members in that church? You wouldn't let your teenager go there. Jesus practiced what he preached. He said this about building his kingdom or churches. I'm going to quote in Luke chapter 14. He said, when you give a feast, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your rich neighbors because they got something they can give you. But when you give a feast, you invite the poor, the broken, the lame, the wounded. They can't offer you anything, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And then he went a little bit further in that passage there when he talked about building the kingdom or the church. And he said this, kingdom of God is like a man who prepared a great feast. And he sent out his servants to tell the people to come. How many of you know that's the great commission? Go tell them to come to God. He sent out his servants and he said to them, go into the highways and hedges and bring in here the poor, the broken, the maimed, that my house might be full. Jesus said, go get the people nobody else wants. And then guess what he did in that early church in Acts 2? He did it. Yeah. Guess what kind of folks they was? What do you think Mary Magdalene was like out of whom went seven demons? What do you think she was like when them demons was bouncing around in there? She's a hussy. Anyway, you got it. And, and then Luke 15, guess who he's sitting with? Preachers are mad because he's sitting with all the sinners. Um, <clears throat> Where do we get this demographic thing from? Do you know what Jesus' demographic was? It wasn't 18 to 35s. It was the poor, the broken, the maimed, those busted by life. He said, bring me the ones nobody, that's his demographic. Could you imagine a church in America today that shot for that demographic? Couldn't pay the light bill on this place. Guy was being ugly to me one day and he said, you just did it for the money. I'm talking about our church, he said, you just did it for the money. He said, I bet y'all take in $5,000 a week. I said, 5,000, we couldn't pay the light bill with that. <laughs> All right. I, I'm going to go on. By today's standards, you would not be impressed with the church Jesus built. Those of us in the American church, we wouldn't be impressed. Like his disciples weren't. They wanted something better. They wanted an earthly, look at him. All right, let me say this. You know, my greatest fear, and I'm not a person given to much fear. I don't much care. I have one great fear in life that I'm going to stand in front of Jesus and he's not going to be impressed with the church we built. You say impossible. You don't think so? <clears throat> so what are, we, what are we going to do? 
When God begins to speak to you, and I've been accused of changing a lot. I call it growth. Anyway, so you know what the deal is? Don't worry about it. Man, just keep them cards and letters coming in. The offerings are still flowing. Let's keep playing American church. Let's just keep, keep the ball rolling, buddy. Everybody seems to be happy. Is that the goal for everybody to be happy? No. I thought we lived for an audience of one. Amen. How about, what, what if you talk about crazy? How about this? Let me just, let me throw a hand grenade right in the middle of everything. What if we were to invite Jesus to come and just shake the place up? Whoa, 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 whoa. Remember what we saw last week? The day Jesus came to church in Matthew 21 and he came in and he kicked their tables over and he tore that place up and he said in verse 13, he said, it is written, my house shall be, but you have made it. Can you see from that verse that what they built in church was not what he wanted it to be? He said, Brother Brian, that was the idiots back then. Couldn't be us. You don't think so? Let me throw verse 14 in there. But after he got done shaking that place up, guess what happened? Then the wealthy, well-connected businessmen came and joined that church and gave their tithes. Mm. Not what it says. The blind and the crippled came and he healed them. When he built the church like he wanted it, people showed up and saw miracles. And I'm not just talking about broken, you know, dead legs could walk again. He fixed everything. He's just that good. All right. Dig a little bit deeper before we're done. I don't know what. Let me tell I'm like my buddy. Y'all remember Josh? Joshua. <laughs> remember what he said when he was struggling with the people of God to obey him? He said, do whatever you want to do. As for me and my house. I'm not in control of the American church. Matter of fact, I, I can't even get my wife's dog to stay where he's supposed to stay. I'm responsible for one man before God. And you are too, one woman. As for me and my house, you know what I'm going to do with my life? Since I, let me tell you something. I'm at the top of my ladder. I'm at the top of the ministerial ladder. I don't know if you knew this or not, but I'm in the 1% club. This, is, this church is in the top 1% in America. I am so impressed. I'm at the top of my ladder. What did I lean the ladder against? All right. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to seek you first, the kingdom of God. I'm looking for a kingdom. I want the kingdom of God. I want the community of God. I want the church God wants. And by church, I do not mean a building with a steeple. I don't even give a rip if it don't have a steeple. I don't care if we don't have a building. I'm not against buildings. I like being dry when it rains. We got this crowd now saying, if you got a building, you're of the devil. Guess where that puts me? I got two of them. Double devil. How about that? That's nonsense. But it's just not the building. It's not the programs. It's not the show. It's not the organization. It is the heart. It's all about the heart. All right. If I wanted to really see the kingdom of God in the earth, where could I find a model for that? Where would I look? How about a successful American church? How about this book right here? How about a book called Acts, which by the way, Acts is where the church is. It's where the beautiful church is. And that, that would be my thing. If we saw the kingdom of God today, what would it look like? I mean, I mean, they kept saying, come on, Jesus. Come on, dude. Are you going to build the kingdom? And he said, I've been building it for three years. You didn't see it. Well, 
They said, will you now build the kingdom? Are you going to build the church like we thought it should be? And he said, no, I'm going to build it like I want it to be. Let me make an announcement. Owner gets to choose. There's a reason it's called my church. Jesus said, my church. Well, he's, I think he's still building. Um, let me tell you the closest I've ever seen to the church in America, New Testament church. 25 years ago, a friend of mine told me about this church. We were visiting and I loved him. And we were both sick of our churches. He was sick of the charismatic nonsense and I was sick of the Baptist nonsense. So we met in the middle of the Bible. Sorry if I'd offend you. And uh, he, said, I, he said, I know where there's a real church. He said, you'll, he said, you'll see the book of Acts in that church. And I heard about it, but I didn't go for years, but some years back I went down there and visited. And I, it so happened I went there one day and I spent the whole afternoon there visiting in this church. I went around the place and I met the leaders, talked to them, the people were there. I had dinner with the people there, that church that night. And I, I just saw this church thing. I remember going back to my hotel room that night. I got this thing about staying in the cheapest, jankiest hotel in town. I've had people try to put me in the hill and I ain't going. I'm going to find the nastiest thing I can find to stay. That's just my thing. I like it. So I'm sitting in this janky hotel, sitting out in front watching, and I said to myself, I saw church today. I saw the church in the Bible today. The name of the church, you got a very impressive name, because you know in America, to, to reach the millennials, you've got to have an impressive name. You know, Elevation, Restoration, Rocket Church, <laughs> whatever. This place got a real impressive name. It's called Dunklin. Dunklin, Dunklin Church. And I went down on a visit to Dunklin Church, and... Uh, it's the closest I've ever seen to a church. Uh, let, me, let me tell you about this church. You'd be impressed. The buildings, they're not, they're not nasty. They're very clean and neat, but they're just very plain and simple. The average church has much nicer buildings. They're not, they ain't near this right here. They just got plain, simple buildings that are structural and serve the purpose. Their music, no disco lights. For years and years, they just had one woman that played a piano and they just sang. And I think they hadn't, hadn't stepped up much above that now. They just sing. They don't have a Christian concert and the people jump in when they can. They just sing quietly. But when they sing, somebody comes in the building. I mean, somebody comes in the building. And their ministers, none of them went to college. Matter of fact, they were all drunks and drug addicts. Before they met Jesus. Every, well, the guy who started it, he went to college, but he had to forget all that. <laughs> and their members, they uptown. It's messy. Let me tell you something about real church. It's messy. It's not polished. Their members are, uh, their members are a mess. It's just not the crowd you'd want to be around. He said, well, if they ain't got no, if the buildings are not fancy and the music's plain and the preachers are bunch of drunks and the members are the off-scouring of society. What? Why did you think it was so great? Let me tell you what I did see there. I saw those men were learning to be like Jesus. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. They, they, really, they were learning how to serve each other and learning to lay down their lives. They, didn't, they weren't near as interested in you memorize verses, memorizing verses they were as they were in you forgetting when somebody offended you. They learned how to live like Jesus there. <clears throat> it was the way they cared for each other sacrificially. Wasn't none of this Sunday morning, good to see you, how you doing? God bless you, God bless you. None of that stuff. 
These people carried each other's loads. They sacrificed for each other's well-being. Their music, I thought it was beautiful. You wouldn't be impressed. But you know what they did have in that place? They had God. You, you just, the presence of God was everywhere. Just the, you felt like you were enveloped in the presence of God. I'm eating dinner one night, 20 some years ago, pastor of the largest church in our state, one of the largest churches in the nation. And he called me, he said, my wife's coming to speak at your church, me and you go eat. So we're sitting there eating and uh, I'm just a kid. Well, even 25 years ago, I wasn't a kid. And uh, we're visiting and uh, we're just talking about stuff. All of a sudden he just stops and he looks at me, lays his fork down and he said, you know what you have to have to have a great church? I said, what? He said, you have to have God. He looked at me for a minute, picked his fork back up. He said, so where do y'all live around here? That was my entire seminary training right there. He nailed it. Uh, let me tell you what else they got in that not impressive church down there that I thought was so great. They have miracles there. Matter of fact, I got this in the mail just a little while ago. I get this every month. Uh, let me just, you want to you hear a, a bona fide miracle? This is a real miracle right here. My name's Ivan. I come from a 25-year addiction to alcohol and drugs. Before coming here, my marriage was falling apart due to my bad choices and substance abuse. I put a strain and I ruined the relationships with my children, my parents, and my siblings. Since coming to Dunklin, I've been able to build a real relationship with Jesus Christ that saved my life. He's helped restore and reconcile my marriage, my family, my relationships. I'm grateful for what the Lord has done in my life. That's a miracle. That is a bona fide, genuine, that's what God does. What does it say? What does it say in Matthew 21? And the, the blind and the broken and the lame came to him and he healed them. And he put their lives back together. And uh, I think that's the closest I've ever seen to a church. So some people would argue with me and they would say, well, that's not a church. It's a para-church organization. I would say, flame. I'll take para-church then. Where'd we get this church thing? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up. There's the weirdos. <laughs> We're just talking. I'm not preaching. You want to see the kingdom? Go down to live and free and watch that. That's, right. That's the kingdom of God yeah. in practice. One of the funniest things happened to me, a guy said something, he was so dumb what he said until I asked God about it. God said, you better listen to what he says. It's been years ago. We had a guy came to our church. He was going to be an associate pastor. Neat guy. It's been a long time ago. Matter of fact, he, he worked at Dunklin at one time and he came here to be an associate pastor. He moved into a house that was temporary to get a permanent place. He moves in there and he told me, he said, we, we got our... Uh, we got our house now. We, we're going to move. I said, when you move? I said, well, look, don't, don't hire a company. Let's do it. We'll get some folks together. We'll come over and move you on a Saturday. He said, okay. So we got some trucks. I got a U-Haul truck, pickup trucks. We go over to move them on a Saturday. I think I got together about 15 people. All right, we'll go over to move them. And uh, we're going to move him that day. So we get over there and we didn't work that hard. We didn't work that fast. You know, we had plenty of us and had all day. So we just enjoyed each other. We laughed. We'd cut up with each other. Somebody had music, Christian music playing on a boom box. I'm singing the whole time. We're all singing. I'm singing loud and we're working and singing. And we had the best time with each other. And then we decided we had lunch. Somebody went and got, made lunch and went and got lunch. We all sat down and broke bread together with gladness of heart. We had the best time. We got, we got done. And he said, before everybody leaves, let me say something. He said, number one, I want to thank all of you for coming. I really appreciate y'all coming up. This is great. And then he paused me and he said, you know what? He said, we had church today. Right. I remember thinking, he's nuts. <laughs> we didn't have church today. I didn't have no program. Mm. 
We didn't have an order service. Didn't take offering. And I didn't get to preach. And we didn't have worship. We just all singing songs about God. To a boombox of all things. God Almighty, a boombox. All we did was just love each other and break bread together and have a great time and build relationships. I, maybe we did have church, I don't know. All right, I'm done. Jesus came to build something on this earth. I want you to, I want you to pray a simple prayer with me. Pray it for a while. Because uh, you know the Bible, Jesus said, I want you to pray, th certain things I want you to pray for every day. I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to pray a simple prayer. Do it. If you want to do it for you, you say, I don't care about that stuff. Well, do it for me. Be nice. Do this for me. I want you to pray this prayer for us, for, for you, if you want, for you and for me. I want you to pray this prayer. Father, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in the earth today as it's being done in heaven right now. I sure do hope he'll hear your prayer. Hope he'll listen to it. All right, I'm gonna pretend this was a sermon and close with a prayer. How about that? Is that clear? You need something that's got sermon tied to it because you always close with a prayer. I didn't have no points. I didn't have no text. didn't have no nothing. I'll come back next week. I'll do better. Will you give me one, Sunday in, one Wednesday in 20 years to booger up? All right. Lord Jesus, I just want you to know I love you. Can I talk to you like I do when people are not listening? You are so wonderful. As the deer longs for the water brook, so longs my soul for you. To hear your voice is the joy of life. I don't care if you rebuke me. I just need to hear it. Just say anything. I thank you and praise you for the promise that my sheep hear my voice. By faith, I believe it. I live for it. Your word says that your law is written in our hearts, that you put desires in there. If we ever saw the kingdom you came to build, in our lives, in our homes, and with another group of people, we would do as your word says, we'd, we'd sell everything we've got and we'd buy that kingdom, including our religious stuff. I, I just, you're, you're too good. You're better than this. I believe you, that you died to build something, to start something and build it. Well, I want to see it. In the name of Jesus, I ask you that your kingdom come in this earth. And please let me be worse at. I, I thank you. I, I see things happening in the Middle East and in Africa. But what about here? Thy kingdom come here. Jesus, I don't care. It can be in this building. It can be in the woods. It can be in a tent. I don't care if it's in a hoochie-coochie shop. I don't care where it's at. I want to see the kingdom of God. I want to see people continue in the apostles' teaching. I want to see them praise God with simple, pure hearts. I want to see the miracles. Boy, that thing about go get the poor and the broken and bring them here. I want to see those people come and have their lives changed. I want testimonies over and over of, my life was a mess, but look what God has done. I, we just, we long for that. I thank you it's an eternal kingdom. I know it's important to get people ready for heaven, but dear Jesus, I, we got years before we get to heaven. What are we going to do then? Build your kingdom. I mean, I want to see the real kingdom. Well, I'm not going to sit here and beg y'all all night like I do in prayer, because they got to go eat. But I just pray in Jesus' name. I pray for every person that uh, 
Much like you shocked the Pharisees and your own disciples and said, what, what y'all want is not even close to what I came to do. Maybe if that is, listen, Jesus, if I'm nine miles off, I'm sorry, I'll be back to normal next week. But if, if we're off a little bit, please come into my heart first. Fix me first. You can do like you did in that temple. Come in there and tear it up. Kick the tables over. I don't care. But let, let my house be a house of prayer and healing and miracles and praise. If, if my home needs it, I got one of the greatest homes in the world, but Jesus, you're, you're the better fixer-upper, I guess. You, you always got something better. And I wish you'd come in this church and do whatever you got to do to make it like you want it to be. I want the kingdom to come here. I, I'm sorry, Jesus. I just wish we'd get off the stinking internet and put our books up and open your book and listen to you. In Jesus' name. I trust you for that. Well, I want you to know I love you. Can't wait to see you face to face. What, it's going to be the best. It's a good day today. Every day is a good day with you. But that day when we see you face to face, and I just want to hear you smile and say, well done, boy. That was the kingdom right there. In my heart. My heart needs it more than anything else usually. In my home and in your house. I trust you for that. Thank you for my friends. God bless them. And I praise you for your great kindness to us. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen.